It's like recording now. Genesis. All right. Welcome, everybody. How are we doing? Uh, okay. We're going to do a little like interactive thing here. Okay. I'm not going to make you do that again. It was painful for all of us. Um, here's my interactive thing. So, how was your break in a word? Fabulous. Fabulous. Long. Long. All right. <laughs> Uh, now in a facial expression. Okay. That was awesome. Um, your, how was your break, Sid? Well, that was... Um, look how interactive this is. Isn't that awesome? It's like we're having a dialogue. This is great. Um, mine was good. Uh, One word. Good. Smile. Facial expression. Kind of like, we both know it was good. Um, and here's why it was good. Uh, so you're have some news. We're expecting number three. Right. I'm taking name requests. Shaniqua. Um, Shaniqua. Uh, Melchizedek is taken. Um, so, Gomer. Oh, Rahab. <laughs> All right. Um, now we're super excited about uh, this little one. He, she, uh, will be due in late July. So, here's about twelve weeks ish. Thirteen. Okay. Hot, cold. Thirteen. Okay. Um, so we're excited about that. Uh, some of you are like, okay, that's awesome. Who is this guy up here? Um, <laughs> he's telling us about baby news. Um, I'm Sid Druin. I'm the campus minister for this thing called RUF, Reformed University Fellowship. Um, we exist to minister to the campus, um, but let me tell you a little bit of RUF. RUF exists for the convinced and the unconvinced, for the believer and the unbeliever, for those who have a pencil case and they're glad to be back at school, though, and those who borrow a paper and a pen every single class from the same person. <laughs> both of you, this is for both of you. Okay, RUF exists for those who are on way too intimate terms with their iPhone babe Siri. And those of you who are still preferring pay phones, landlines, and smoke signals. Yes, RUF exists for all of you. Uh, flip phones is included in that category. Um, <laughs> Now that I have an iPhone, I feel like I could be snobby, right, can't I? Like, before, I had a Blackbird, and I was kind of, like, half ashamed. Like, what do I work for a law firm? But now, I'm excited. Okay. So, um, an REF exists for those who think Jesus is enough, and those who aren't sure that Jesus is anything, really. So, basically, whoever you are, wherever you are, thanks for coming. We're glad you're here. Welcome. Uh, we hope that you get to know each other. We hope you get to know the people in RUF. If you've been here more than once, not now, but later, come and find somebody and talk to someone new. If you're new, just relax, okay? The pressure's off. Uh, maybe meet one person. That'd be a goal. Uh, two, you're just, you're maybe going to blow a gasket on that one. So... Um, just chill out. It's good. I'm glad you're here. We're welcome. I hope you feel welcome. Come and talk to us. Um, so I have a couple of announcement rehash, which is what I do, right? Um, so if it wasn't good enough the first time, you get it the second time warmed over. 
Uh, here's sort of what we're, we're up to you. Is the sign up somewhere? Beautiful. Can, if you've signed up for this, do not sign up for it again. Okay? Or you will get two of everything. Or three of everything, depending on which time you do it. Um, but if you have not and you want to know more about RUF, this is a great way to do it. All our events are via email. Um, we also have a Facebook page, uh, NMSU RUF. You can check that out if you're that savvy. Um, so you won't get spammed. We're just going to tell you what's up. If you want to be off of the list, if you're already on the list, you can write that down. Get me off, please. Um, that's fine, too. All right. Okay. We've talked about this a couple things. I just want to kind of clarify. There are two big things coming up Okay, for RUF. I'm going to clarify. We're having dinner and a movie this Friday night. Yes, RUF is taking you out on a dinner date. All of you. We're just friends, though, okay? Okay? Um, now I'm kidding, hopefully. Um, um, there's going to be some good grilled food, some fun, a movie outdoors. It'll be amazing. So come join us, watch The Sandlot, uh, a classic, and join us with the stars. Dress warmly. It's going to be cold. Okay. The sun is not going to be out. The sun warms things. Uh, okay. Um, also, uh, let's talk about this retreat coming up. Thirty dollars, people. I mean, what can you get for thirty dollars? A lot of Big Macs, but that's beside the point. Like, you can't get anything. I mean, this is two nights, three days of just. I don't know, paradise, really. Um, there's sledding, maybe, skiing, ice skating, and hanging out, fun activities galore. Um, it's a great way to get to know people if you're somewhat new to RUF, or if you're old to RUF and you still feel like you don't know people, sorry, we do sin. Um, maybe this is a great opportunity to get to know folks. Uh, we're going to get back to the Super Bowl, so if that's what you're really worried about, look, you can have both. You can have your cake and eat it too. Um, also, I'm just going to talk about this amazing speaker that we're having. It's not me. So you won't overdose, which will be really nice for all of us. Um, the guy's name is Jason Bobo. He's the former RUF guy at Arizona State University, so he's done this before. Um, let me just, I mean, he'll make you laugh. He'll make you cry. He'll be in the fetal position. He'll be slapping your legs. It'll be amazing. Um, and really, like, what's going to happen is he, here's the two tentative provisional hypothetical titles he has. He's going to talk about justification. That's how we made right, or how we declared right with God. Um, his two ideas are My Socially Inappropriate Friend Jesus, as one title. And the other title is Episodes with an Awkward Savior. <laughs> Which I really like the second title a lot. Uh, now, he's not going to, you know, RF is somewhat awkward, but he's really going to try to take it up a notch. Um, he's a great speaker. I've heard him before. He is funny, and he is powerful. Okay. Uh, finally, uh, if you look in your announcement page, the last part on the bulletin, you'll see that um, RUF, coming to RUF, going to RUF is not going to church, okay? We're a mission, an extension of the church. We're not what you do with Sunday worship. I'm not going to do communion here. I'm not going to do baptism, for instance, here. So you need to go to the church. Um, we love that you're here. Please keep coming. Uh, we can talk through if you're not ready for church or if you're looking for a church. I gave you two options. Um, here's a couple reasons uh, why those are good ideas. So um, I'm going to tell you a little story. When you get older, uh, you're not around everyone who's the same age and does the same thing for a living. And so it's a really good, nice time now to get kind of step into the shallow end of the pool and go and hang out with some people who aren't your age. So this is awesome. I love it. Um, you deal with me, the old balding person up here. Um, you guys are all pretty much the same age, which is great. But you need to jump into a church uh, for your long-term good. 
Okay. Now that I've lectured you, let's move on. Um, so, hopefully that makes sense. If we're going to talk about that more, I'm more than happy to do that. Uh, but anyway. So, this semester in large group, uh, we're leaving aside, for those of you who were last semester, we're leaving aside Jonah and Elijah. We're moving to the New Testament. And we're going to look at the Paul's letter to the Colossians. This is also known as the book of Colossians. So um, I'm going to mostly let this sermon, the first few verses, explain why we're doing what we're doing, why we're looking at studying Colossians. But I have a couple of, um, I can't resist, you know, a couple of thoughts about why I think it's worth it to look at Colossians. So here's my title. I really had trouble putting a title out. That's why if you're looking at the emails on the Facebook, there's nothing but Colossians. I've really had trouble. It's like been like title writer's block. Um, so I didn't even get through the first word. But here's what I'm, my best attempt. What if enough was enough? What if enough was enough? Jesus is all we ever really wanted and needed anyway. Okay? So what, is, what if enough was enough? Jesus is all we really wanted and needed anyway. And that's what Colossians is about. Okay? So I've got a subtitle. That's pretty cool. Um, but I... I think that's kind of what captures what we're talking about. Jesus is enough, and we're going to talk about why he is. And I really want to kind of explain this, because this is what Colossians is talking about, and I'm going to flesh this out in my own words. Um, have you ever felt like a junior varsity Christian? Does everyone know what I mean by that? Okay, sort of. Let me explain. Um, I played high school tennis. <laughs> I still have my like, little polo with the collar. It's awesome. Anyway, um, and I played high school tennis for a couple of years, and I was a junior on junior varsity, which is not the coolest position ever. And like out of sheer pity, the underclassmen elected me captain, which was just, I don't know. I played like the lowest position in second doubles. It wasn't a good situation. And really, that was just because I was a junior, um, and I was tall. Anyway, I felt like in tennis, no matter how hard I tried, like no matter how many tennis balls I hit, no matter how many push-ups I did, no matter how many wind sprints I ran, um, no matter how much I tweaked my forehand or my serve, I just couldn't get to varsity. I just couldn't do it. I couldn't get to that next level. Um, and so I quit the tennis team my senior year and ran track and grew shot put, which was even funnier. Um, <laughs> anyway, so if we're honest, some of us feel this way, that way, the way I felt about tennis, about the Christian faith. Um, we've read the latest Christian how-to bestsellers, we're radical, we're filled with crazy love. And then we've done our moral checklists, uh, we don't curse anymore, we never frown, we let people into traffic when we merge lanes. Um, we re retool our quiet times to be earlier and longer. Um, and then we've tried to do that, some of us, some of us have really tried to do that, some of us have sometimes done that, but we still feel inadequate and stuck and we want to quit. Look, I'm a professional full-time Christian. This is what I do for a living. Okay? In most folks' eyes, I've made Jesus, if he had a varsity team, I've made it. In most folks' eyes, okay? And I do Christianity for a living. But a lot of the time, when I hear what other people have read, all the books they've read, or what the, or the hundredth person comes up to me and tells me about this amazing new Christian CrossFit evangelism program, I feel so inadequate and I get so tired, and I feel like I'm a junior on the junior varsity team playing second doubles again, in Christian terms. Okay? So, I, if you feel this way, I hope that Colossians, looking at this book, talking about this book, will feel refreshing like a garden. 
There's not more to do in this book. There's more to rest in. There's not more to do. There's more to rest in. Or maybe you're here and you're overly confident that you've made the Christian varsity squad. You've made the tryouts, the cut lists, and everything, and you're not just like riding the bench. You're a star player. Maybe you, like me, when I made varsity soccer in high school as a sophomore, you swagger around, I like threw my shoulders back, like walked around my chest up, and you're like walking the hallways like you're the man or woman, okay? Your quiet times are epic, I mean epic. And frankly, like the checklist is always checked off. That's what you're in. You've done everything you're supposed to do. Um, And again, I'm up here speaking. you know, I must be on Jesus' All-American team, at least his All-Regional team. Um, but let me tell you this. That's wrong. Can I tell you, in my most honest moments, how amazingly, amazingly convinced I am of my own impatience, my own lack of gentleness, my own lack of kindness? Those are my honest moments. Those are my good moments. Maybe for you, like me, Colossians will feel like a wrecking ball. A wrecking, ball, a wrecking ball that will clear all the junk out of our lives and make way for us to know Jesus and for Jesus alone. And then there are those of you here who feel like this whole like junior varsity varsity metaphor is really not, doesn't apply. Maybe you quit Christianity to run track and field and throw a shot put. Okay, that's way oversetting a metaphor. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, focus. Um, or maybe you've never really tried Christianity. You're just kind of here visiting to see what it's about. Welcome, first of all. We're really glad you're here. It's a really hard step. We appreciate that. Um, And I hope Colossians will show you that Christianity isn't really about drinking or not drinking. It's really not about watching certain kinds of movies. It's really not about watching or listening to certain kinds of music videos or listening to certain kind of music. If life, society, and other Christians have paved paradise and put up a parking lot, they've done that for you, I hope you'll see that Jesus is both a wrecking ball to the pavement. Look at this. I mean, I thought on every metaphor I thought I'd over Christmas break already. I'm spent. It's only like, we're on page like two. (laughs) Okay, so I hope that you'll see Jesus as a wrecking ball to that pavement that's paved paradise and a gardener to the paradise beneath. That's what I hope for Colossians in our study of it. So let me be clear. Let me just make this very clear. If you believe in Jesus, you're on the varsity team. There is no junior varsity in Jesus Christ. None. None. I'm sorry, if you want someone to carry your Christian equipment around for you, or if you want to carry someone else's Christian equipment around for them, I'm sorry. That's just not the way it works. It's not the way it works. The ground is level in front of the cross. All right. So, obviously that wasn't a few minutes, and that wasn't a few comments, but here we go. That's what I want to make clear from the outset about why we're studying Colossians. It is so good for all of us, no matter where we are, to hear about what Paul's going to talk about. So let's turn to Colossians, if you even turn there, or turn your green sheet, uh, or if you have a Bible. Colossians is between Philippians and 1 Thessalonians. If you go past Romans, if you hit Hebrews, you've gone too far. Okay? So that's where we are in New Testament, Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8. So, we're going to read the English Standard Version. If you'd stand for the reading of Scripture, I'd appreciate it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. 
We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of, the, of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Friends, these are the words of God. They are more precious than gold, even much gold. And they are sweeter than honey, even honey from the comb. Would you pray with me? Father, um, I pray that you would settle our hearts, that you would move our attention, and that we would, in a hot, stuffy room, um, look to you. Your book, your Bible promises some amazing things. And I pray that, um, that you would help us to witness how you come through. How you come through with your promises, how you are, who you say you are, and how you change people like me and these people. I pray, Father, that your son Jesus um, would be clearly shown forth and that your spirit would move inside of us, wherever we are, with Jesus. We ask these things knowing full well that you can do them. We ask in faith and in your son Jesus. Amen. You be seated. <clears throat> so, like, maybe when you read a letter like this, you think you're, you feel like you're reading someone else's mail. Yeah? Maybe that's how you feel. Okay, someone else's mail about gushy Thanksgiving, abstract virtues, and suddenly gardening in verse 6 and 7. Have you ever done this? Have you ever read someone else's mail? You know, accidentally or on purpose? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, yeah, let's be some bold people. Okay, before we get into your and my federal offenses, it's actually illegal to, <laughs> to read other people's mail um, without their permission. Let me just tell you about something that recently happened to me where I was the victim of someone reading my mail. Um, it was actually very stressful. You see, a church had sent me a card for Christmas and a check, and I was super excited about it. Um, it was a gift from God, from on high. Um, and I was really psyched. And, but they sent it to the wrong address, right? And somehow the person there didn't read my name on the front and opened it up and read the card and took out the check. And there it sat for several weeks. Um, you know, there was something, at first I was sort of, it was an accident, course, but at first I felt really violated. There was something really weird about that. Like, that's they're reading my mail. They're reading my check. They're looking at my check. Um, they're reading that card that was really nice about Christmas. And I, I felt violated, but then I felt really frustrated because I lived like maybe seven houses from this person that got my mail, and they sent it all the way back to northern New Mexico. Pretty frustrating. Um, and, I, and I, I guess I realized at that point, after that had happened, and after this whole feeling of someone else, knowing someone else was handling the thing meant for me, that I felt like it felt real wrong. And if you've ever read someone else's mail, if you've been that person, and I was that person growing up because my dad had the same name, so like pretty much every day I read his mail accidentally. <laughs> okay, so I'm pretty experienced in this. Um, so arrest me now. Shackle me. Um, but 
you probably felt a little bit of shame at first, and then my guess is that you felt pretty bored afterwards, right? Um, unless you're like a spy or in the CIA or something, like reading other people's mail is not that interesting. Okay? Here's why it's not interesting, because it has nothing to do with you or me. That's why other people's mail is not interesting. Okay, the inside jokes, the pleasantries, those aren't very fun, because it's nothing to do with us. And so let's look back at this letter to Colossians. 2,000 years ago, a guy named Paul writes to this small, minor city 100 miles from the west coast of Turkey. Okay? Colossae. Colossae, Colossi. Many people pronounce it differently. I'm just going to go with Colossae. Okay? And we immediately think the letter to the Colossians, when we think about what the, the whole situation is, we think, this isn't for me, this isn't my mail. And maybe you feel like studying this letter feels like boring or wrong. Okay? But we know that this letter and all of Paul's remaining letters, for that matter, is, are meant for us to read. And we know this from chapter 4, verse 16. There it says, And when this letter, the letter, has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And then you also read the letter from Laodicea. Paul meant the Colossians' letter to be read by more than one audience. By more than just the people of Colossae. More than just the people of Colossae. I'm just going to keep going back and forth on that one. I'm not confident. Um, look, um, and really, like, you have to understand, this letter was not found in some, like, time capsule in a Turkish backyard. You know, like, it's not like someone dug it up and went, ah, Colossians. And, like, someone's pair of socks and sandals. Um, this was preserved and sent everywhere in the most published, best-selling book of all time, the Bible. Okay? And that means it is for and about you and me. But why? Why is this letter preserved for 2,000 years and distributed to nearly every person, every culture, nearly every culture in the planet? Why is that? I think the, verses, the first eight verses of this letter tell us. They tell us why it's important. And it's important for two reasons. For the person who wrote it and what the letter says. So the person who wrote it, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, verse 1, and what the letter is about, the gospel, the word of the truth, verse 5. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, tell us very, in very powerful words, um, words that changed the world and changed lives, including mine. They say this. Here's what the words, the gospel says. It's really simple. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. And here's what the gospel does. So if it says grace and peace, here's what it does. Faith, hope, and love. That's what it's all about. That's why it's a bestseller. That's why it's distributed to every culture. So what do these simple words mean? That's actually what we're going to unpack the rest of the sermon, uh, for the rest of our time together. But let me kind of give you an outline of the passage as is my custom. Okay? So verses 1 and 2, we're going to look at grace and peace. And we're going to look at them through the lens of Paul's life, especially. Okay? And then in verses 3 through 8, we're going to look at faith, hope, and love. And we're going to, we're going to look at it as it's described in a fruit-bearing weed. Okay? So verses 1 and 2, grace and peace for you, me, and Paul. Verses 3 through 8, the gospel plant of faith, love, and hope. Okay, that's what we're going, that's what we're going to do. There we are. So let's begin. Look at verses 1 and 2 with me. I'm going to read them again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. 
All right. So we've talked about the audience of this letter already, the Colossians, and us. So let's talk about who wrote the letter, Paul. And look, look at the way he describes himself from the get-go. This is super important. This, Paul's never met the Colossians in his entire life. This is his first correspondence with them. And what does he do? He makes an introduction. He describes himself. How would you describe yourself when you, to people you'd never met? Here's what he chose. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. This is his first impression. Let me just tell you what an apostle is real quickly. An apostle is an eyewitness to Jesus, especially his redemption. Or his resurrection, I should say. And God wills that these eyewitnesses would become, kind of like give testimony before the court of everyone about who Jesus was and what he said. Okay? So that's what, a, that's what an apostle does. He gives an eyewitness account, a testimony of who Jesus is, who Jesus was and what he did. From like what he saw, right? And apostles have to write about this because there's so many people like us who've never seen Jesus face to face. We've never talked to him. We've never heard from him. The Colossians had it. And so Paul has to be the person that says, hey, Jesus is like this. Because I've seen him. I've seen him. And that's what the road to Damascus is talking about. As well as other parts of scripture. So we can think of the Colossians as one of Paul's testimonies to people like us and like the Colossians. For people who have never sat physically at the feet of Jesus. Does that make sense? Are we all tracking? And you're sort of saying, okay, so what, Sid? That's awesome. What's the takeaway? Why is this important? Here's what Paul's saying. When he says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, he's saying, everything I'm saying, every word I'm saying, are the words of God. That's what apostle means. Everything that I'm saying are the words of God. And some of you have real significant doubts about that. Maybe you think Paul's a liar. Or maybe you think history and translation have obscured what Paul's really said. But before we go there, I'd like you to suspend your disbelief for a second and take a more humble position of hearing Scripture out. Look, if you come into a situation and someone thinks they've got your number, if they think that they know you, they think like, oh, like, don't even explain yourself. I'm going to write you off or I'm going to stereotype you. You would be ticked. Righteously angry, right? You want to be able to be heard for what you say about yourself. Correct? That's what scripture, Paul and God are asking for. Take a humble position. Hear what scripture has to say for itself. One reason to listen, especially to scripture, to this letter, is Paul, its author, and the dramatic change that happened personally in his own life. Paul not only writes about something radical, grace and peace, which is very radical, although it's very boring for most of you sounding, but he not only writes about it, he's lived it. He's lived grace and peace. And, you know, I could rehash the story that we just read in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, and I could, like, point out grace and peace and the different parts of it, but I'd really actually rather just quote somebody. Um, Sally Lloyd-Jones, Jesus Storybook Bible. I mean, it's made for five-year-olds, but I mean, every, I like weep every time I open it. Maybe it's because I have kids. I don't know. But it's just beautiful. And she has a wonderful way of comparing Paul's life to what grace and peace mean. So I'm going to read it. And you can think of this as story time. If you want to crisscross applesauce your legs, um, put your hands up like in a little... Um, in, a, in a little hammock, so to speak, or you're chin in a hammock, um, you're welcome to story time. Okay? So this is what Silo Jones says about Paul. Of all the people who kept the rules, Saul was the best. 
I'm good at being good, he'd say. He was very proud and very good. And he wasn't very nice. Saul hated anyone who loved Jesus. He didn't believe Jesus was the rescuer, and he didn't believe Jesus was alive either. You see, Saul had never met Jesus. So one day, Jesus met Saul. Suddenly, Saul could see again, but he saw everything different. He wasn't mean anymore. He even changed his name from Saul to Paul, which means small and humble, the very opposite of proud. It's not about keeping rules, Paul told the people. You don't have to be good at being good for God to love you. It's not about keeping rules. You don't have to be good at being good for God to love you. You just have to believe what Jesus has done and follow him. Because it's not about trying. It's about trusting. It's not about rules. It's about grace. God's free gift that cost him everything. And then, God loves us, Paul writes from prison. Nothing can ever, no not ever, separate us from the always and forever love of God he has shown us in Jesus. Story time. Um... Do you get, do you grasp what grace is and why this is such an incredible revolutionary idea? Let's talk about what it's not. It's not about keeping rules. It's about God's gift that costs him everything but's free to us. It's the always and forever love of God that he showed us in Jesus. It's not about being good at being good or even about trying. It's about trusting. Grace, this is my definition, well, a brute stolen from somebody, but of course, but grace is us punching God in the nose, mostly because we don't like him. And then God giving us a billion dollars because he likes Jesus. Okay, so let me say it again. Grace is us punching God in the nose, mostly because we don't like him. And, that's, and then in return, God gives us a billion dollars because he mostly very much likes Jesus. Okay? This makes no sense. None. None. It is beautiful, it is good, and it is true, but it makes no sense. And grace is what leads to peace. I'm not talking about ceasefires. I'm not talking about like the end of war, military combat. I'm talking about biblical shalom peace. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. And listen to this definition. Shalom has to do with blessing, richness, abundance, and a far-reaching harmony that permeates and characterizes all our relationships. Right? That's how one commentary put it. Let me just like simplify it and put it in my terms. Accepting God's free love in Jesus leads you to love yourself, to love others, and to love the universe in a way you never have. That's what it means. Okay? So accepting God's free love in Jesus leads you to love yourself, love other people, and love the universe in a way you never have. And all of this feels like a rest that we're all desperately looking for. That's what peace is. And love from grace is what Paul is so excited about in verses 3 through 8, right? He is ecstatic and thankful for it. He writes about the Colossians' love for all the saints, that is Christians, verse 3. Then the love in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, verse 8. Then he also adores the Colossians' faith in Jesus Christ, verse 4, and the hope laid up for them in heaven, verse 5. He is excited. And by referencing faith, hope, and love, Paul is giving us a summary of the Christian life. What does it mean, what does it look like 
as individuals and as a group, as RUF, as a church, as people gathered together to receive and to give grace and peace. That's what he's talking about. It looks like faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love are what it looks like to be in Christ. In Christ is going to be a huge term you're going to hear over and over again in Colossians. Here's what it means. Looking backwards to the ways that God, what God has done for you, that's faith. Looking forwards to what God will do for you, that's hope. Looking around you to look what God is doing around you and for you, that's love. And here's my question. Do we live with this kind of three-dimensional vision in our lives? This faith, hope, and love three-dimensional vision. Is this, how we t- is this what we take to our classes? Is this when we see people and circumstances in Barnes & Noble ca- campus, or whether we see them in the AC, or whether we see them in Taos, or even just out there near Einstein's? Are we soaking this in? Are we living out of this? And let me say this. We can only live and see this faith, love, and hope kind of way as we stop fighting against God's grace and we rest in his peace. And stop fighting against God's grace and rest in his peace as we move towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know, Paul isn't content to rest there, okay? He's not content to say, that's enough. He says, you know, actually faith, hope, and love are awesome, but I'm really talking about something far more fundamental. I'm talking about the gospel, the word of truth. We see this in verses we see this in verses 2 and 6. He says, look, the gospel is this, simply put, grace and peace. Grace and peace. That's it. And the gospel of grace and peace looks like a fast and forever growing wheat. We see this in verses 6 and 7. And I want you to know this. Faith, hope, and love are the fruit that the weed produces. That's his metaphor. I'm just adding to it course. Um, look, this is I'm borrowing this metaphor from a friend of mine, Ben, ben Robertson. This is his name. The gospel is like kudzu. Do you guys know what that is? Okay. We're going to get there in a second if you don't. Okay. Um, it's like kudzu that sprouts blueberries, strawberries, and raspberries. That's what the gospel is like. Okay. It combines two things. It combines a weed-like ability to grow and spread over everything no matter what, and a tasty, delicious, satisfaction, appealing quality to it. Okay? So let me explain. Do you, you guys somewhat know what kudzu is? Um, some of you. Some of you groaned. That means you know it. Um, this is really big. So I was in college my freshman year at Davidson in North Carolina. And I was driving down the back roads around the school. And we turned this corner, and I saw this like huge open field. Right? With so a couple trees or whatever. Clearing, so to speak. And... It was covered, covered. Every square inch was covered by this vine that looked like ivy, like just green leaves everywhere. And I was like, what in the world? Because I'm from Ohio. I had like no idea what kudzu was. Everything dies in the winter. And, and he was, and I talked to, I turned to my friend, I said, what is that stuff? And he says, it's kudzu, and it's everywhere down here. Everywhere down here. What I didn't realize was that everywhere, upon further inspection, meant nearly every wild-growing woods, clearing, meadow, field, and very often, neighborhood apartment complexes. Okay? <laughs> everywhere is kudzu. Um, it's not just in, in 
North Carolina, it's in the entire southeast, all the way from Maryland to Florida to, to East Texas. It's covered in kudzu. Okay? Crazy. Um, and kudzu is this kind of vine. It looks like ivy. And it was introduced from Asia. Okay? To help sort of wash out some drainage dishes. I don't really understand. But anyway, I read that somewhere. Uh, and kudzu spreads 150,000 acres a year. Okay? Do that math for a second. 150,000 acres a year. That means that it grows a foot per night. That's crazy. Do that math. Okay? Your dorm room, a week. <laughs> Done. Okay. So, this is the beautiful thing. It's growing a foot per night, 150,000 acres a year, and, it's, and everyone in their right mind is trying to kill it. And it's still growing like that. Okay? This is incredible growth. And this is what Paul's talking about in verse 6 when he says, um, the gospel which has come to you is indeed the whole world is bearing fruit and growing, growing all over the place. And look, the gospel was introduced from Asia. Right? Israel. The Near East. The Middle East. And it is growing, increasing, and exploding despite every attempt to kill it off. It still continues to grow. And maybe, maybe grace and peace are slowing down in places like Western Europe. But it is exploding. It is growing so vast and so thick in places like Latin America and Africa and East Asia. Do you get this? Let me just give you an example. In China, China, okay, there are 100 million Protestant Christians. 100 million. That's a lot of people. You know how many people in the Communist Party? So you're actually like persecuted, it's illegal to be a Christian, 100 million of them. Communist Party, you get economic benefits, power, it's politically savvy. How many are there? 75. There are more people willing to adopt an illegal thing that everyone's trying to stomp out with all of their might than people willing to embrace the, the, the ruling class of the day. 100 million to 75 million. That's kudzu. That's the gospel. Do you get that? It's crazy. And I, I want to give you two reasons why I think that the gospel is like kudzu. It's fast, it's inevitable, and it's spreading. And you just can't help yourself. First, it's delicious fruit. Okay? Again, my metaphor for kudzu is that it's kudzu that grows raspberries, strawberries, and blueberries. Okay? It's delicious fruit. The gospel message produces faith, strawberries, love, blueberries, hope, raspberries. Okay? <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, a whole break. Six weeks just to, to go nuts. Um, these things are attractive and enjoyable. And I want you to kind of grasp it. This is, it's helpful for us to kind of make it concrete because faith, hope, and love are like, woo, up there. But strawberries, raspberries, and blueberries, delicious. Okay? Down here. So why are they attractive and enjoyable? Here's my case. Not for blueberries and strawberries and raspberries, but for faith, hope, and love. Okay? Here's my case. For faith. In an age when most people can't understand why fundamental things like gravity exist, it's nice to believe that someone like Jesus Christ created and sustains the universe. We know how it works, but we don't know why it's there. Unless you believe in Jesus. We're going to talk more about that in a few weeks. Okay, next. My case for love. Do you know what it's like when someone to be around someone who's for you? Now compare that for, with being around someone who's against you. 
you're going to pick the person for you every time. It's attractive. Finally, my case for hope, and this might be my most compelling case. Who would you rather hang out with? Winnie the Pooh or Eeyore? <laughs> I mean, it's going to cost you some honey. It will. But Pooh Bear is definitely my choice. Okay? <laughs> Who wants to be with gloom and doom Eeyore? Okay. Pooh Bear has hope. Okay. The second reason that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world is grace and peace. Okay? Let's not forget what's producing the faith, hope, and love. You know, it's the stems, the roots, the nutrients of this crazy plant are grace and peace. That's what's powering the engine of the gospel. That's what's nourishing the plant of the gospel. And grace and peace are what makes the gospel grow 150,000 acres a year and make it as appealing and as tasty as strawberries. Grace and peace is both of those, are both of those things. Okay. So you might go, okay, Sid, you've explained grace and peace, sort of. You kind of explained faith, hope, and love. But where am I? I'm lost. Let me tie it together with a story. Isn't that what every talk is supposed to be? It ends with a beautiful story. This one's actually really, really intense. Um, So I'm going to try not to cry. On May 21st, 2008, Will Franklin Chapman, the son of Stephen Curtis Chapman, if you ask me to name a song, I couldn't. Um, he is a musician, Christian musician. Anyway, he was backing, this son, Will Franklin, was backing up in his car, and he hit his adopted sister, a five-year-old named Maria Sue, with a car. And she instantly died. So, Stephen Curtis Chapman's son killed his adopted daughter with a car in 2008. There's an interview a few weeks later, and Stephen Curtis Chapman, the father, is explaining how difficult it was to deal with the loss of his daughter, and then also at the same time the fear he had of losing his son, Will, as a result of this. He said in the interview, I just really had a deep concern in my heart that I would not lose two children as a result of this, because I knew what my son, Will, must have been struggling with after this. So picture with me the scene. His five-year-old daughter has just been crushed to death by his teenage son. Stephen Curtis Chapman stoops down to the pavement, picks up her crumpled body, and lays her in the car and rushes to the hospital. In the same interview weeks later, they asked Chapman, what were you thinking? What did you say to Will Franklin? Because I don't remember what I said to him. I really honestly don't. But Will's brother was there, he remembered what Stephen Curtis Chapman, his father, said. As his father was backing out of the driveway, his father screamed out of his window as he drove down the driveway with his already dead girl in the back seat. This is what Will's brother said. I listened, I heard, and I saw my father leaning out of the window and screaming, Will Franklin, your father loves you! Loves you! In the midst of my fears, my guilt... My doubts, God and his gospel is screaming over me. Sid Druin, your heavenly father loves you. Loves you. And God says this to anyone, anyone who believes, however poorly, because they're in Christ. Would you pray with me?
Father, <laughs> um, how, do you hand, how do we handle that? How do we handle the fact that you are screaming over us, that you love us in Jesus? What is it? <laughs> the amount of times that I've just destroyed people, and yet you, re- you scream over me that you love me. I just pray that that's what we'd understand that grace and peace are. And that's what faith, hope, and love look like. And I pray that um, that we take that to heart. And that you would help us wherever we are to trust in that, whether we know you uh, or not. I pray that this would be a time where we consider that. Uh, what it means that you love your people that fiercely. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.